you're watching this, uh, we are beginning to establish a new normal here at Cornerstone. So uh, it's going to be a bit bumpy for a little while as we work out how to do this technologically and otherwise, but hang in there with us because it's going to get better. We are continuing, even uh, if it happens from the privacy of our own homes, depending on how all this pans out, to pursue renewal in 2020. And uh, we framed that this year in terms of this phrase from one of the Psalms, there is a river. It's been a tough week, hasn't it? I've been listening to news radio, perhaps a little bit too much news radio this week, and the headlines have been terrible. The business and finance reports have been terrible. The sport's been terrible. The thing I've appreciated most about the news this week is the weather after uh, just a round of doom and gloom headlines. Uh, the weather reporter will say, hey, it's fine and sunny in Brisbane today with a top of 30, and that's a highlight. <laughs> that's the best thing that uh, gets said on the news at the moment. It's been tough, uh, and it's probably going to get tougher. I don't know if you've been discouraged from owning up to the challenge and difficulty of life as a Christian. But I really want to give you permission. Uh, let's not beat around the bush. Let's not hide from the facts. It is a tough place that the world is in at the moment. Graham was talking last week about the fact that as Christians, we often have to kind of hold two points of tension. And I think this is one of those. I think as Christians, uh, we need to face up to the reality of our world. We need to face up to the challenge of it. We need to be honest about the fact that things aren't going well when they aren't going well. At the same time, we're a people of hope, aren't we? We're a people who believe that no matter how difficult things get, we stand on a firm foundation and we've got hope for the future. When I've thought about this in the past, I've sometimes thought about Jesus, his death and resurrection something that we're going to be thinking about again at Easter time, coming up very soon. And I've wondered what it would have been like if some of those disciples of Jesus who fled and weren't, um, you know, the scripture tells us that, that his disciples abandoned him in, in his hour of need when he was on the cross out of fear. Uh, imagine the word getting back to them from the women that stayed by the cross that, uh, he had succumbed to the, to the crucifixion, to, to, to death, uh, when he offered up his spirit and it says that he died. And the disciples saying, no, I, I don't believe that. I'm not going to accept that. Now, I'm sh that's a natural response and maybe they did momentarily. But what would that have done to the shape of our faith if the disciples had refused to face up to the terrible situation that they're in. No, we don't believe that Jesus is dead. I'm not. You're just, you're a downer, Mary. <laughs> don't try and tell me that my saviour, that my Messiah, that my leader is dead. We wouldn't have the resurrection, would we? We wouldn't actually have salvation. We wouldn't have the hope that we do as Christians. See, in order for God to do everything that he wants to do, we have to acknowledge 
where we're really at. We have to acknowledge the state of our hearts for God to be able to save them. We have to acknowledge the broken state of the world to really see the miraculous reconciling work that God is going to do. I've been thinking about uh, some words of the Apostle Paul this week. He talks about so much of what gave him identity, so much of what gave his life meaning prior to Jesus being stripped away, much like things are being stripped away from us in this incredible season. And Paul says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Paul says, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. I did the Alpha course recently with some people um, at Cornerstone and, and from the community around, and something Nikki Gumbel said that uh, I think I heard before, but it's it's been pressed on my mind and heart again. Is if we expect life to be good because we think that um, the purpose of life is for us to be happy, we'll be sadly disappointed when we aren't happy. We may even be disappointed in God. The Scripture tells us, and I think Philippians three here tells us that the purpose of life is not to be happy so much as the purpose of life is to know God. I've been talking already this year about living a river-ordered life. This mystery in the faith that there is a freedom on the other side of submission to God. There is a freedom that comes with submitting to the order that God wants to bring to our lives, that to be in the river, this picture of the renewing presence of God, the source of peace, the source of life, the source of joy, means to be patterning our lives according to God's will for it. Now, there is tremendous grace in that. It's a bit of a mystery that there could be grace in taking on an order, that it could be grace in submitting but, of course, it's the testimony of so many of us. And that's why we have begun to look this year at this idea of spiritual disciplines, practices that we can take on, a pattern of life that we can take on that leads us to renewal, that leads us to the river, that leads us to the peace, the life, the joy, the grace that God desires for us. When Jesus is approached by some religious leaders of his day, they're trying to catch him out. They say, 
tell us, Jesus, which is the greatest of Israel's many laws? And you'll probably know uh, this passage from Matthew 22. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Uh, he says after that, the second is that you should love your neighbour as yourself. And then on these two commandments, all of the law and the prophets hang. Jesus is saying that there is a law, in a sense, and that is to love God. And that's what we are believing that looking at spiritual disciplines can do for us. It can help us to love God. It can lead us to him as the source of life and the presence of God, the river that we've spoken of. Somebody who's written and thought quite a lot about spiritual disciplines is a guy called Richard Foster. And he's written a book, uh, I'd encourage you to get your hands on it if you can, called Celebration of Discipline. Richard Foster says this, a farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way that it is with spiritual disciplines, says Foster. They are, way, they are a way of sowing into the spirit. By themselves, he says, spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They only get us to a place where something can be done. Foster is making this point that it's not about the disciplines themselves. It's about what they can do for us. I think about um, I think about Mark two twenty seven, where Jesus' disciples are being criticised by some of the religious leaders of the day for eating grain on the Sabbath, and Jesus responds to them by saying, "The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath." Of course, the Sabbath is a spiritual discipline that the Jews have kept for millennia. They give things up as they celebrate and observe the Sabbath. They take things on. Uh, it's not uh, something that doesn't have a pattern to it. Uh, it's not something without some degree of discomfort and rigour. But God established and instituted the Sabbath because he knew that it was good for people. What Jesus is saying is the intent of the Sabbath is for people. God understands or sees that it's good for people. He wants people to enjoy the everything that the Sabbath can bring, everything that the Sabbath can offer them. The thing is, uh, our sinful hearts can twist these things. We can lose sight of the fact that if God wants it for us, it's because he loves us and because it's good for us. Jesus was saying to those religious leaders, uh, what Rick Watts uh, has said, the law uh, is made for people keeping, but when we get it wrong, we think that uh, it's all about law keeping, laws of the people keeping, people um, for law keeping. So Graham introduced us to this idea 
a few weeks ago, thinking about a rhythm of life, a rhythm of discipline, a sort of three-step waltz that can be a part of taking us towards the presence of God, of knowing God more fully, of coming to the river. And you might remember the three steps of this waltz, this waltz that's sometimes called the way of union. The first involves purging our lives of things. I've, I've told the story to explain this three-step waltz of a bachelor anticipating his bride moving in to their home. I've told the story trying to explain this waltz of a bachelor in anticipation of his wife moving into his apartment with him, looking around his apartment and realising that much of the way that he's decorated it has to change. Many of the things that he's given pride of place to in the living room, in the bedroom, aren't going to suit life together with his new wife. And so he realises he has to take his football posters down. He realises that his gaming console, which dominates the living room, isn't going to be appropriate in their life together. So he begins to get rid of things. He begins to purge his apartment of things which maybe aren't going to be necessary for the season ahead as a married man. And, and the apartment begins to take on more of the shape of a blank canvas so that when his new wife moves in, they can begin to decorate it together in a way that is going to work for them in their life together. That's like the second stage of this three-step waltz, consultation. So in the same way that this bachelor would say to his bride-to-be or his bride, what should we do in this space that I freed up by getting rid of my pinball machine? Illumining, illumination involves asking God in a variety of ways how we should shape our lives once we have made room by purging. Finally, by going through these two stages, we prepare uh, the shape of our lives for renewed union with God. That's the way of union, the three-step waltz. Now, Richard Foster, who I talked about, uh, has engaged with these ideas, and he's talked about 12 spiritual disciplines. Now, as you look at them, you'll see that maybe some of them are more purgative, some of them more and more illuminative, but what a mouthful. Some of them are perhaps more unitive. These are the 12. Meditation, prayer, study, and fasting. Simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And finally, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Now, where we are at at this moment in history, I spoke about last week, is kind of forcing a kind of purgation on us. Uh, we are having things stripped away from us. We maybe don't even have uh, the opportunity to purge our lives of these of certain things that we've valued that have become a part of our lives. They're actually being taken from us. So we might look at this list and uh, for some of us, simplicity uh, might be being forced upon us at this time. You know, maybe our budgets are going to begin to suffer in the coming weeks. 
uh, we're going to have less money to spend. We're going to have to have to simplify our lives somewhat. Uh, we're not going to be able to drive all over the city doing the things that we've done for fun and for business, that sort of thing. The pattern of our life might tend towards a type of simplicity in this stage. Many of us are going to experience and maybe are already experiencing a new season of solitude, particularly those of us who live alone. Our social lives are being disrupted. There might be some extent to, to which we have to submit to authority to a new degree, to a new and strange degree, to obey authorities who are asking us to take extraordinary measures to give things up. We might also, um, at some stage, uh, be compelled to uh, acts of service that haven't been a part of our life, just so that we can get by, so that others can get by. We might even get to the point uh, where we're giving up some of the food that we've enjoyed or the, the drink that we've enjoyed um, because the budget's tight, because not everything that we love is available at the shops anymore. Even if it's the case that some of these sorts of disciplines, these more purgative disciplines, almost being imposed on us, I do think it could be useful to give them over to God. So if there's a sense in which it seems like something's being taken away from us, something that we've loved, something that we've enjoyed, whether that's socialisation, the company of other people, whether that's, you know, um, the Friday night takeaway that we've become accustomed to eating. I think there can be value in saying, well, God, can I see this as a discipline? Is this something that you can use? Can there be space opened up in my life in a new way because these things are gone? I'd like us to think about these sorts of disciplines, fasting, simplicity, solitude, submission and service. Think about them as aspects of a life that we are prepared to give over to God anew. At the same time, though, I think this is a time to lean into hope, to celebrate what we can, to enjoy what we can, and to be uh, people of joy and peace uh, in the midst of this crazy world, people who are giving to others. The thing about these purgative uh, practices, they're often kind of inward facing. Uh, they're often pretty countercultural and people outside of, say, a Christian community that focuses on these things might struggle to connect. I feel there is a sense in which we need to be really trying to connect with the world around us at a time like this, really trying to offer people the hope that we have, the love that we have, the peace that we have, and to be generous, caring people. So let's have a look at the rest of this list. Along those lines, you know, celebration becomes important. Worship becomes important. Service becomes important. Prayer becomes important. 
challenge that Allah has to take up in the coming weeks and months is to think about our lives and think about where some of these disciplines might fit in. And over the coming weeks, we're going to have um, a variety of preachers and teachers lead us into um, these in more detail. Like, so pick one and, and, and look at what Scripture says about it and talk about their personal experience of that discipline. But I'm going to get that list out to you via email and on socials. I want you to look at that list and think, is there space in my life now to pick one of these things up? You'll get a chance to talk about them in small groups. But I'd love to hear back from you, actually. I'd love to hear, hey, I decided to intentionally study scripture this week in a way that hasn't been a part of my anatomy. I decided to, to pick a verse and like discipline one there, to meditate on it, to roll it over in my mind, to ask myself again and again, what does this mean for me? To let that verse change me, become almost like my breath as I walk around, to become like a prayer. Pick one of these up and see what it does and give us some feedback about it. that you might come into life more abundant. Jesus talked about those who would hand their lives over to him, having streams of living water flowing out of them. That's the picture that we're picking up on this year, that God wants us to live in the river of his blessing, in the river of his presence, that God wants his blessing, his presence to flow out of us because we're his people who live in his presence. I just love the psalm that this phrase comes from, Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Doesn't it feel like the earth's giving way at the moment? The mountains might fall into the heart of the sea, Though its waters would roar and foam and the mountains would quake with their surging, God, there is a river whose streams make glad. City of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. God lifts his voice and the earth melts. I'm going to read that again. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will be her help at the break of day. Nations might be in uproar. 
kingdoms might fall, God lifts his voice and the earth melts away. I want you, I want us, the world needs you, the world needs us to be those people who live in that river, to be those people through whom that river flows. I've talked about in the past how it struck me that there's not really a river in Jerusalem, the city of God where the Most High dwells. You know what? The Most High dwells not in a city so much as in a people, and when the Most High dwells in you, you are that river. People in the world need you to be that river. Your neighbours are going to be looking for hope. Your neighbours are going to be looking for consolation. People at work, people at school are going to be frightened. They're going to be wondering what it's all about. They're going to be wondering where life is going to go. You have the answer. You have the hope. Hey, I want to pray for you. God, we thank you that uh, we can trust you even in the most extraordinary circumstances, Lord. We thank you that uh, our anchor is in you. We thank you, Lord, that um, the, the physical, material world might creak and groan and uh, be under all sorts of calamity. But we, Lord, are people who have our hope and our reality anchored in eternity. We have a loving Father who has promised that he will protect us, that he will be with us, that he will guide us. You will protect us. You will be with us. You will guide us. Lord, I pray that you'll be with people of our community this week. I pray, Lord, uh, new water would be flooding into their hearts, even in the face of all this challenge, even in the face of all this difficulty, Lord, that you would be more present with us than you have been. Lord, that by uh, the, the people in this community's willingness to be your vessels, you would be more present in their worlds through them. God, I thank you that we have each other. I thank you that uh, we have you where uh, in anticipation of the good things that you are going to do. Thank you, God. Bless these people. Amen. Hey, thanks for uh, putting up with this first effort at a video sermon. Um, love to hear some feedback and um, look forward to connecting with you however we're going to do it in the coming weeks. Bless you. See you.